Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Thursday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We are live in Washington, D.C. at our affiliate Freedom 104.7. Appreciate all of you who are listening in the D.C. area and around the nation and around the world on our 500 some odd affiliate stations as well as so many of you downloading the podcast we appreciate all of you we got a lot of stories to hit for you uh throughout the course of today's program first of all senator josh Hawley will join us in studio here in dc to talk about the issues that are currently underway we got a bunch of breaking news that i want to hit off the top here buck um it appears that they're essentially going to give up on trying to elect a house speaker uh and they are going to keep the interim speaker, in place, McHenry, and he will be in place until January. This is a mess. Let's start with this, Buck, just because we're in D.C., and and again, this is expected to happen in the next few hours. Jim Jordan couldn't get the votes. Steve Scalise couldn't get the votes. Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes. And right now, Jim Jordan will remain speaker-designee, meaning that he hopes that sometime in January of 2024, he's going to be able to become the speaker. But the big challenge here is essentially the House speaker negotiates with the White House and an interim House speaker, given the fact that I believe I'm right about this, the budget is not funded past November, doesn't have a lot of chits on the table, so to speak, to be able to negotiate with the Democrats because he doesn't even have the job in earnest. So effectively, we are going to have an interim House speaker for the next couple of next three months, uh, basically, and we'll see what happens after that. It seems like the concern that we had been sharing, that there was no great plan in place for what was supposed to happen next, was a very valid concern. Yes. As in, there there wasn't uh, the next steps. Uh, the, the next steps were not... Um, already laid out and it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot that was intended or that this was intended to accomplish other than oust Kevin McCarthy because they can and now they'll just have to fight this out at a later date effectively this is like hitting the delay button it's just, it's like saying time out we'll have this president I mean the uh, speaker pro temp and then we'll see what happens I think the way to analyze this buck is there's about eight to ten people that did not like Kevin McCarthy and there's at least 8 to 10, if not 10 to 20, that were so angry over the way Kevin McCarthy was removed that they refused to support anyone else. And so I don't know how the logjam gets resolved. My concern, and this continues to be my concern as we move into 24, is that we could end up in a situation where effectively there end up being like 20 Republicans who pick a moderate Republican and go in cahoots with the Democrats on some sort of power sharing move because there's I I think the number buck is there's 18 Republicans who represent districts that Joe Biden won in 2020 and so I understand people out there who say oh uh well we we need a speaker on the right side you and I both want Jim Jordan to be speaker but the closer we get to 2024 and now they're talking about making a decision in January And again, remember, it's only like a six-month or seven-month speakership because by the summer, they're all going to be off uh, into the campaign season. I can see those moderate Republicans who are trying to get reelected and stay in power 
deciding that they want to go with somebody much more moderate to try not to rock the boat too much. So it's basically going to go to January now. We don't know what's going to happen. And at that point, we'll be even deeper into the election cycle, which means that the role of any speaker would be effectively a caretaker and and electioneering of some kind. I mean, trying to help Republicans get a larger majority in the House will be absolutely essential. You see, Nancy Pelosi taking a little victory lap here. This is cut 20 over Jim Jordan, our buddy Jim, not being the speaker. Nancy couldn't help herself play it. I think uh, it was a triumph for democracy in our country that an insurrection was, was rejected by the Republicans again as their candidate for speaker. We've always wished winning party well as they choose their leader. I've never in the decades that I've been here, when we've had a, a speaker's race on our side or their side, we've always respected each other's judgment. But today and yesterday, that, that was an assault on our democracy as Jim Jordan assaulted our democracy on January 6th. Oh, well, why, why is Jim Jordan an insurrectionist? What, what, because he this? supported Trump. No, I, I know, but I mean, come I mean, on. They're, this they're is... going, and, and on the same day, by the way, that there were uh, Palestinian supporters, Hamas supporters, who took over the Capitol, and they had to arrest some of them after Rashida. We'll play that audio for you. After Rashida Tlaib continued to spread the lie. Things have gotten so bad in D.C., Buck, that this morning while we were waiting to come to do the show, I actually found myself reading John Fetterman's Twitter account. And, and pretty reasonable on the I, Israeli issue you're telling me? Yes. I, couldn't, I see Clay in the hotel lobby, and he's like, you're not going to believe this. Fetterman... Is making sense Fetterman, on Israel. Why don't I think, you, why don't you I read think what we have. Well, I'll read the tweet, but I think we even have him speaking, and he can barely speak. Cut sixteen. Here's what he tweeted: It's truly disturbing that members of Congress rush to blame Israel for the hospital tragedy in Gaza. Who would take the word of a group that just massacred innocent Israeli civilians? over our key ally and i read that and i was like is this a fetterman parody account because it makes so much sense and i don't know how well he said it but on cut 16 here i'm going to be honest with you i believe in the recorded history of clay and buck this is the first time we've ever said anything positive about john fetterman so i you are high-fiving fetterman right now this this is is what is going on how broken dc has become this morning swampy this morning i'm sitting downstairs in the hotel lobby and i'm like you know this guy fetterman he's he's actually making a good point here's cut 16 i'm always going to stand on the side of israel always and now it's be you know it's clear that israel was not responsible for the bombing at the the hospital and it's tragic that hundreds of of innocent civilians were killed and it was done by the same side that butchered innocent uh, israeli citizens over in in israel last week and i don't know how you can get more despicable than they already are to now they're trying to blame israel on that to inflame tent tensions all there as well too and I'm, I'm proud that the president visited there, and I'm going to stand with President Biden, and I'm going to stand with Israel, and I look forward to voting for whatever they need, military, intelligence, or humanitarian aid. Okay, I don't know what... This been... is dogs and cats living together, <laughs> mass hysteria. This is crazy. Fetterman speaking cogently, uh, coherently, and pulling it all together and saying appropriate things uh, about uh, the state of Israel. So there, there's there's that happening, which I think was was a little bit of a surprise but as i've been saying all along this is why democrats don't pay a price for the anti-semitism wing that exists within the democrat party the the biggest name democrats overwhelmingly with very few exceptions i mean aoc is very 
recognizable in a media sense, but the most powerful Democrats are all very pro-Israel. And that's why, as this issue plays out with Joe Biden, Joe Biden is not going to lose Jewish support in America, uh, you know, the support of Jewish voters over what he's doing here, because we do have a bipartisan policy of, of very clear support for the state of Israel. It just with Fetterman, it wasn't only what he said, but it was the clarity with which he said it, which is a reminder to everybody as well. Yeah, he may be improving over time. He, I'm sure he plans on, you know, running when his time comes. It's some years out, but running for reelection. And, uh, some of these Democrats, we, we make fun of them. We see them as, um, you know, completely out of their depth. Joe Biden is the single best example. Well, well, Kamala Harris also out of her depth. I mean, there's a lot. Joe Biden, though, is the, the one that I think is the most clearly not up for the job. And yet sometimes they can pull it together in a way that'll fool just enough voters or please just enough voters that they can get what they need. It reminds me, Biden is going to be speaking tonight at eight o'clock. And I'll tell you right now, everybody, it's going to be a speech dealing with with Israel. And he's going to say things that overwhelmingly a lot of people are going to view as what he needs to say. I mean, this is yeah. not a moment where I think you're going to see Biden say anything radical or, or blunder. Um, and obviously we're still waiting to see what goes on here with the, uh, with the ground war. There are all these efforts, um, underway to get humanitarian resources in. They've got, I think, 20 trucks right now, Clay, of, of, uh, humanity, you know, food, medicine, supplies that are on their way to Gaza going across the Rafah border in Egypt. Uh, Biden's been part of negotiating that. So trying to lessen the humanitarian crisis is a part of what the U.S. negotiation is going to be involved in, but the ground campaign to destroy Hamas is what we're really still waiting for. A couple of other things that we're going to be talking about that are newsworthy. Sidney Powell, former Trump attorney, she is pleading guilty, going to pay a fine, six years probation in the Atlanta uh, trial where I believe they had, what, 19 criminal defendants. She's now going to testify against Trump, which uh, is going to increase the legal peril there. Uh, we'll talk about what that means. There's a Bloomberg poll out, Buck. That is incredibly favorable to Donald Trump. Uh, I'll share some of those data points with you. It's all swing states. And Trump, spoiler alert, according to this Bloomberg poll, again, I don't think Bloomberg is particularly biased towards Trump, is leading in virtually all of the swing states. Look, Trump could very well win this election. And, and I think Democrats are, are, um, in denial about that reality at some level, but I also think they're increasingly figuring that out. Um, that the numbers are indicating that it's going to be what we've said all along, which is very competitive. Uh, it's going to be very close, but it's going to be so close that the repeat of 2016, although they, it won't be quite like that because I don't think they'll say there's a 97%. Yeah, right. Biden winning, but the, uh, the shock, uh, of the day after of a Trump win and a Trump presidency part two is something the Democrats may very well have to deal with. Again, I know, assuming he is the nominee at this point, I don't I don't really see how barring some uh, exigent circumstance. It would it would have to. I think it would have to be a health issue. Yeah, for Trump would, there would have to be something to be the nominee. There's honestly I don't see how this changes based on ground game in Iowa or anything else. And, and that's just me. And, you know, I think you feel the same way. That's looking into the future, which can always change. But for right now. Have we have we ever seen 
a Republican primary with somebody this far out at this stage? People have talked about, oh, Rudy Giuliani was really far ahead at one point, and you know, Fred Thompson had a moment, and Herman Cain. Yeah, but, you know, they had a moment. They didn't have a 40 to 55-point lead for basically the entirety of the primary leading up to Super Tuesday. Yeah, and, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, the first votes are going to happen in Iowa on January 15th. A lot of this is going to get shut down from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's. What I mean by that is a lot of you out there are going to be going about your lives. You're going to be busy with family. You're going to be busy with kids. You're going to be busy with friends. And so the move has to happen in the next 30 days in order for somebody, I think, to really challenge Trump. And we haven't seen it happen at all. Now, we had Chris Christie on yesterday, and he said, I think Iowa, then New Hampshire, and by South Carolina, it will turn into Trump versus whoever the top candidate is, 1v1. I'm not sure that I buy that because I think there's a lot of people who will refuse to drop out on principle. For instance, the vague is not going anywhere. Well, and I, and I wonder, I mean, Mike Pence can barely afford to run a campaign right now. I don't think he's going to drop out. I think it's a sort of a personal anti-Trump campaign that he's running. I don't think he wants to drop out. And then Nikki Haley and DeSantis are battling it out so carefully to be the number two that I don't think either one of them wants to run. There, there was also a period where you could have made an argument, and I, I think that this that the DeSantis camp was doing this, where they weren't attacking Trump because they didn't want an attack on Trump to feel like an attack on Trump supporters. And that could have explained why there was very little anti-Trump anything stretching back to, what, June of this past yeah. year, May of this past year. Uh, but now we're getting into go time. Yep. And the numbers haven't moved at all. So if you were really serious about trying to shake things up, you'd have to really go after Trump on a regular basis. And with the exception of DeSantis a little bit, none of the other candidates really are. And to me, that's just an indicator of they don't want to they don't want to upset the king in waiting. Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. Also, there's no talk about Trump uh, being involved in the debates at all. None. Right. We're we're dealing with we got the Miami debate. We were talking to some guys from the RNC. They're going to have a debate in December. They're going to have a debate in January. They're going to have a debate in February. I don't think Trump's going to do any of those. And I think by South Carolina, potentially, we've got a nominee selected. Uh, so that's the trajectory where we're going. A couple of other things, Buck, that I wanted to mention. We're going to talk about eight percent mortgage rates, eight percent. I know a lot of you are feeling that. And this is ultimately the failure of Biden. I'm, I'm, you just, I'm, you I'm just took out of I'm feeling that. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Man. Why do you guys think I gotta work so hard on the radio show? It's tough out there. Eight percent mortgage rates are no fun. Look, I got something for you though to help. Support US funded resources in oil and gas assets. Phoenix Capital Group invests you to, uh, to in, invites you rather, <laughs> invites you to invest in the heart of America with our domestic energy corporate bonds. Phoenix Capital connects private investors like you with investments in tangible domestic energy assets. Look, I'll tell you, I'm an investor in the Phoenix Capital Group, so I've already taken the plunge with them, and so far it's been fantastic. Phoenix Capital Group offers yields of annual interest rates from 9 to 13%. Look, Phoenix Capital wants you to have a vote of confidence in the American dream and be a part of the energy backbone that built our nation. To learn more, download Phoenix Capital Group's free investment packet today, at phxonair.com. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. 
Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% APY. Download the Phoenix Capital Group's free investment packet today at phxonair.com. Truth seeking, reality telling. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. As you all know, there's a lot of legal machinations going on with uh, regard to all things Trump. Various trials happening. And uh, Sidney Powell is part of the Georgia racketeering trial. She of Release the Kraken fame. And she has pleaded guilty. Um, here is a... Uh, legal, well, actually, we don't have to get to their legal analysis right now. I don't even really care what MSNBC has to say. Here's what's going on, folks. Sidney Powell is saying, okay, fine, I'm a part of this racketeering election thing. She's getting, I believe, uh, six years of probation under some first offender statute in Georgia. So she's not going to do any jail time. She's got a pretty small fine attached to it. I wonder if her legal license is, uh, I haven't seen any suggestion yeah. that she's lo- losing her legal license. So she may be able to continue. I don't, I don't know. We'd have to see. But Clay, this is where everyone's going to start pointing and saying, ah, is she going to flip on Trump now? Is that a part of this, uh, this deal that keeps her from having to face even a day in jail? And does it even matter? I think the discussion we had with Ted Cruz yesterday, he was basically like, look, they're going to find him guilty, probably. They're going to railroad him, but they're not going to throw him in prison, and he's going to win the election. It's quite a story. Uh, it is an incredible story. And also, the more I think about it, the less I think anybody's going to care about what happened here that haven't already made up their mind about Trump and Biden and suddenly having a case where you're charging him, and it's a banana republic case in Washington, D.C., I don't think that many people are going to change the way that they're going to vote because they already have an opinion of Trump. And they already have an opinion of Biden. And I'm not seeing very many people say that, but the data has reflected that basically Trump's only gaining. Not only we'll talk about this, maybe when we come back, these uh, swing uh, state polls. And we we got to talk about RFK Jr. Yes. RFK we need that Jr. audio. We got to get that. Firearms training is something every gun owner should take very seriously. And 99% of us do. But getting to the gun range where your best training can take place is not always easy. It's not always feasible. That's why it makes it all the more valuable to have an electronic training device at home that you can use without any ammunition. Mine is the Mantis X system. This is a firearms training system that is a no ammo, all electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. Mantis X simply attaches to your firearm like a weapon light, connects to your phone and a Mantis X app. The Mantis X gives you data-driven real-time feedback on your technique. It helps you keep track of your accuracy percentages and it guides you through drills and courses meant to improve your shooting skills. Go get yours today. You'll see. You'll get better. Start improving with Mantis X. Go to MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. Some good news. And I understand a lot of you out there are like, I don't believe any polls. I, I, okay. I get it. This came out this morning, Buck. It is a poll, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Michigan, and Nevada. The idea is these are the seven most swing states of the swing state universe. This is from Bloomberg. So this is not some, you know, like MAGA Inc. poll. This is a independent poll from Bloomberg uh, and Morning Consult, I believe. So these are two entities that are not designed to, uh, to, to be favorable towards Republicans. Here are the numbers. Georgia, Trump up five. Arizona. Trump up four. Wisconsin, Trump up two. 
Pennsylvania, Trump up one. North Carolina, Trump up four. Michigan, dead even. Nevada, Biden plus three. So of the seven swing states, according to this morning's morning consult and Bloomberg poll, Trump is up in five of them. Trump would only need Buck to win Georgia, Arizona. Obviously, he has to keep North Carolina. They're counting that as a swing state, swing state, but one of Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Wisconsin in order to become president of the United States. Do you buy the swing state polls as accurately representative of what the election would look like if it were to occur today, or are you questioning of them? By the way, that also for all of you out there, if some of you are listening and living in those states, do you buy those numbers, 800-282-2882? I think they're, they're a little high, um, but I do buy that overall right now, um, I, I think that Trump, would, would if the probably, election were happening election today, were I would bet today, on him to I, win. I would bet Trump would be able to to beat Biden in the swing states that determine the election. I mean, let's be clear, that's what this is really all about. Um, the part of this that I I have to keep reminding myself, and maybe that's why I keep saying it to our uh, millions of uh, listener brothers and sisters across the country here, is uh, the election's a year away, and the anti-Trump campaign has not really unfolded yet right like the the attack ads the constant drumbeat of the insurrection all this other stuff i mean here can we do rachel maddow for yeah. example kind of giving us a little bit of a sense of what we can expect here the biggest uh ratings draw still over at msnbc rachel maddow here she is saying if trump wins the election there will be no more elections you mentioned Trump. Is there no one in the party they can find to put up for the next election besides this criminal? The Republican Party right now has to make a decision, and it's their decision to make. We have party processes for a reason. But ultimately, if you listen to what Trump is saying, you don't just re- sort of regard him as a um, as a spectacle, but you really listen to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's basically portraying a future for America if he is put back in the White House, in which we don't have another election after yeah, that. Ever. Because the elections are all rigged, that the democratic process can't be yep. trusted, that Congress should just work for him, the Justice Department should just work for him. That's a strongman form of government. That's don't not what we have. He canceled the news, like the right. news are done. That yeah. He wants to put MSNBC on trial for treason so yeah. that he can execute us. Oh my I mean, god. Okay. I think at the end she obviously was trying to be, I think she was just trying to be uh, facetious and, and get a little crazy with it. But uh, Clay, there's a contingent of the Democrat party and it's large. When I say contingent, I mean, there are a lot of Democrats who have bought into this narrative that if Donald Trump were to win again, it is the last election we will have. And this goes to what their pitch is going to be. And it's all just a version of, if Donald Trump wins, democracy ends. And that's going to be the ads. That's going to be the insurrection talk, all of it. I don't know how much that will really move the needle, though. This goes to what we see in the polls. Is it is it able to change those numbers just a few points in those key swing states? Or is there a degree of fatigue with it all, too? Like, are people starting to recognize the world hasn't ended? The world didn't end when Trump was in office. It's actually a lot better than it is with Joe Biden. The world didn't end when Trump was president for four years, so why would it end if he was president for another four years? Well, first of all, that was Rachel Maddow on The View, which had to be an all-time collection of stupidity, and we just shared one clip for you. 
I really do think that they're going to spend billions and billions of dollars, both sides, because of the amount of money that's going to be raised. And I don't know that anybody's going to get moved. And I've said, and and I I, I think if the election were happening today, Trump would win. I, I really do. And ultimately, I think if Trump can focus on the economy, Buck, I flagged this because uh, so many of you out there are experiencing this right now. The mortgage 30-year rate just hit 8%. And here's this is from Kelly Evans at CNBC. I think I retweeted this this morning, too. If you are buying a $400,000 house with 20% down, that would cost you a thousand dollars more per month than it did two years ago. So you're buying a 400k house, which is, I think, around what the average home in America costs now. So this is, and that's a high number because of inflation and everything else. But a four hundred thousand dollar house, twenty percent down, you're paying twelve thousand more dollars a year for the exact same house because of mortgage rates. I think Trump just has to hammer that because this is what Biden economics has done, Bidenomics, uh, for so many people out there. And I think, Buck, a lot of people go back to now the Trump years. And before COVID, January of 2020, I don't know that America has ever been in a better position than we were in January of 2020. All-time low unemployment. Virtually no inflation. Mortgage rates were two and a half percent, three percent all over the nation. A lot of you who were fortunate enough to get those rates, I'm one of them. I don't, I don't want to pay my mortgage off. Why would I? Because I've got a two and a half percent mortgage. And when inflation is running pretty regularly at twice that, I basically got free money. I feel like we've got the house that we need for our family right now. But a lot of you out there don't. And you don't feel like you don't have a big enough house. You don't have the right school district. You would like to move. And, Buck, a lot of you thought, hey, I'm going to wait a little while. And you've never seen mortgage rates increase as quickly as they have. So Biden has failed when it comes to making life better for the average American family out there. And I think that registers on an incredibly compelling level if Trump, remember back in the day when Clinton won in 92, what was yeah. James Carville's message? It's the economy stupid. It's the economy stupid. Bidenomics is a failure. I think it's a huge, uh, forced, unforced error for that they tried to label Biden economic, Bidenomics as a thing when it's a disaster for average so, people. Here's what I think. And this is why the recent Biden appearances with United Auto Workers Union and you're going to see more of this. Bidenomics is not something that has been good for the country, but they're going to make the pitch that Bidenomics is good for certain voting constituencies, that they're, you know, people that have gotten their piece of the pie from the excess spending, that the Biden administration has, uh, in, in whatever ways it can, tried to extend the Treasury as almost their own personal credit card. I mean, they're basically, this is the whole thing behind the student yeah. loans, right? Trying to use the power of government to buy off certain constituencies so that you will have their votes when the time comes. In that respect, Bidenomics may be um, a useful political tool for them. But in the aggregate for the middle class, which Joe Biden pretends to be obsessed with, and also pretends to be like some longstanding part of, even though yeah, guy's got a lot of houses. 
I think he's got more houses than socialist Bernie Sanders, who has three houses, which is what all good socialists should have. But uh, I, I think that Bidenomics um, is also going to be something that as people start to see the way household debt is piling up and the bankruptcies, that's when people start to get a little scared. Right. Inflation is is troubling. Running out of money and declaring bankruptcy is when things really hit home for people, when you see those numbers start to get higher. And they are going to be getting higher because of the high interest rates, because of the inflation that came from the overspending. And this is where we are. By the way, 58% of American households now own stock, Buck. That's the highest of all time. You look at the stock market when Joe Biden came in to today, three-plus years, the average person has not made money in the stock market either. It used to be you only cared about that if you're wealthy, with 401ks, with, uh, with so many people out there with, uh, with their, uh, investments, their retirement funds. 58% have stocks. The Biden economy has not been good for anybody. Uh, but I think that we're at a record high for people who own stocks. I think that's going to register too. Look, uh, you want to protect and, and make sure that you have your family memories forever. That's what you should do because so many of these, uh, these objects out there, whether it's VHS tapes, whether it's photographs, they vanish. Um, how many of you out there have shoeboxes full of old photos? Remember back in the day, you'd go, you'd get them developed. Maybe you put them into a photo album, but a lot of times they just kind of got stacked up. Uh, maybe it's time to digitize those photos. Maybe you're worried about losing them. Maybe grandma or grandpa have the, the box of old photographs. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's just college friends. Maybe it's your kids when they were young. Don't you want to have those digital files and those photos preserved so you can easily share them with your friends and family and make sure that you've got them for everybody for as long as you could possibly need them? Uh, that's what Legacy Box is doing. Right now, they will hook you up with an incredible offer. Fill a box with all your old photos. And in a few weeks, they'll digitally transfer those by hand and return the originals to you. And right now, you can get an incredible offer, as low as $0.07 cents per photo to digitally preserve them forever, about 75% less than any competing company offering the same service. Here's how you get hooked up. LegacyBox.com slash Clay. That's LegacyBox.com slash Clay. Preserve your family photos, your memories forever at LegacyBox.com slash Clay. Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. 800-282-2882 on those phone lines. We have had RFK Jr. on the show before, and uh, we hear... In the in Clay and Buck world, very much agree with his stance on COVID. Uh, he's not the only one who holds that stance, and we certainly uh, were there early on in this whole process. Uh, I still remember the first time producer Mark told me, "Hey, you're not the only one who thinks that masks are idiotic." There's this sports guy because he <laughs> follows sports. His name is Clay Travis, and I was like, "Sports? What?" And then we had him on, and that was the first time I ever talked to Clay. It was actually he came on my radio show to be like, "Yes." Sports should be open. Masks do nothing. This is idiocy. And I was like, ah, oh, this fellow uh, knows some things. So RFK Jr. Um, is somebody who's good on that. Now he's running as a third-party candidate, as is Cornell West, which is something we should discuss a little bit more, I think, coming up here, um, because I do believe that it is time to get very 
Machiavellian in this election cycle. Yeah. Democrats did the last time. Democrats put on their Machiavelli hats. They didn't think twice about it. They did whatever they could to rig, to you name it, to rig the system, to tilt the system, to fill in the blank, right? Um, we need to think of ways legally, of course, to push the system in our favor. And, uh, Cornell West may open up that opportunity. So RFK Jr. Clay was on a, on a podcast and he was talking to the podcast hosts. They, uh, I believe it was set in a barber shop because I was watching the clip this morning and they asked him about his feelings on, uh, reparations. And RFK Jr. said, that he is in favor of and a pretty extensive range of of reparations uh and and I think that this is certainly going to be a problem for him with voters on the right but maybe then that's a good thing because maybe now he'll actually pull more, yeah. more voters from the democrat side right it's it's a little bit it's it's not easy it's a little uh a little bit of a exercise in reading the tea leaves to see how that would happen but Reparation support, that is a, that is a no-go for anybody on the right, as far as I can tell. No, it, it should end anybody out there, in my opinion's willingness to vote for RFK Jr. If you were sitting around and you thought to yourself, well, I kinda don't like Trump and I wanna have a protest vote. If you're voting for RFK Jr., reparations are insanely dumb. I mean, that is a position to advance that is basically the foundation of identity politics. So that is a deal breaker, I think, for anyone out there, even if you agree. And I do think RFK Jr. was right on COVID. There's a Zogby poll that came out today, Buck, that has a four-way breakdown. Uh, and if Trump, Biden, RFK Jr., and Cornell West are all in the race, Trump wins the race uh, according to the Zogby poll so I would encourage people out there I think Cornell West if you give money to him I think that a lot of leftists will be supporting him that will pull off of Biden this this is a little reminiscent of Jill Stein in 2016 who you can go back and and read analyses of this from the left now maybe people on the left wanted to believe this because they wanted to believe that it's the only way that Donald Trump could have beaten Hillary Clinton. But if you look at the numbers, Jill Stein was certainly a problem for Hillary Clinton in 2016, even though how many people even remember that she was running as yeah. a Green Party candidate? And so, they got the Green Party off the ballot in 2020. You couldn't vote Green Party. That's right. And in swing states. They realized, they realized what an issue that would be. So this is what I mean by you have to get fully Machiavellian here for this election because that is the whole game that Democrats are going to be playing. You know, we like to think that politics, when I say we like to think, I think that deep down we wished that politics was, I have grand ideas for this great nation. He has or they have grand ideas for this nation. May the best ideas win. Well, actually, it comes down to like, how much money did Mark Zuckerberg give to get out the vote organizations that are working almost exclusively to help Democrats get registered, uh, people registered and vote? You know, what are they doing on the mail-in balloting in different states? What ballot harvesting operations do they have? That's what actually can determine who ends up being president and what third-party candidates are in the mix that may I mean, I, I should know this off my head. You made, what was it, 12,000 votes in Georgia was the official yep. difference? Uh, I mean, like, like 11,867 11, or something. But, yes, so 12,000. So we call it about 12,000 yeah. votes in Georgia. When you have a state like that that is so pivotal being determined by 
uh, 12,000 votes, you know, which you, you could, you could fit all those votes and then some in like Madison Square Garden. Um, that means that you have to pull every lever you can and pull out every, pull out all the stops. It's, uh, it's kitchen sink time. And I, I certainly hope that the Trump team is strategizing to that effect because you know the Democrats are going to do everything. Zogby poll, by the way, 43% Trump in a four way, 42% Biden. 13% RFK Jr., 4% Carnell West. Now, that's obviously not state polls. I shared the swing state polls with you. But, Buck, if Trump were to win the outright popular vote, he's going to win the election. Trump won in 16, what, losing by two and a half or three points to uh, Hillary Clinton nationwide? So if he were to win the outright popular vote, he would win comfortably in the Electoral College as well. That's what Zogby says today, if that were a four-way race. And we'll play you some of that audio. It may have been from as recently as July from RFK Jr. when we come back. Reason enough not to vote for him.